This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media in the South, we're delighted to welcome a great American, a principled and patriotic leader, Governor Phil Bryant, who served the great state of Mississippi for two terms from 2012 to 2020. Governor Phil Bryant serves on the leadership board of the conservative think tank, International Leaders Summit, and is one of the distinguished co-chairs of the think tank's strategic endeavors in the Middle East, the 4th Jerusalem Leaders Summit held in Israel, and the inaugural Dubai Leaders Summit, both events to be held in November 2021. We begin this weekend's program with Governor Phil Bryan, the 64th governor of the state of Mississippi, a respected and principal reformer who traveled to Afghanistan as governor to meet with the Mississippi National Guard serving in Afghanistan. Without further delay, we welcome Governor Phil Bryan to America's Roundtable, a very Good morning, sir. Welcome, Governor Bryant. Thank you so much. It's great to see you, Joe, Natasha. Natasha, you're close to home, so I know working and uh, and visiting there, and and I know that's a delight for you. There's no place like home. That's right. Thank you. Governor Bryant, real-time images of Afghanistan's collapse have blanketed television screens and smartphones in America, Europe, and the rest of the world. The Taliban retook Kabul and much of Southwest Asian nation in a blitzkrieg a month after President Joe Biden assertively stated that there was no chance this mayhem could unfold. As we air this program from Europe's continent, our European allies who fought alongside U.S troops under the NATO umbrella, as you can understand, are upset and frustrated at how Biden left them in the dark during the withdrawal. In fact, former British Prime Minister Tony Blair has called the Afghanistan withdrawal as imbecilic. Our allies, including Germany's Merkel, said, and I quote, this is an extremely bitter development, bitter, dramatic, and terrifying, unquote. And the leader of Merkel's political party, the Christian Democratic Union, by the name of Armin Laschet, went further by stating the entire Afghanistan operation is a failure, the biggest debacle that NATO has suffered since its founding. Governor Phil Bryant, from your important visit to Afghanistan a few years ago and your continued efforts in following the events today, what are your insights into the unfolding tragedy as Americans may be left behind in Kabul by the cutoff date of August 31st, now dictated by Taliban forces just only three days from now, Saturday. Well, of course, it's hard to verbalize the tragedy that is now Afghanistan. Um, I've heard uh, so many different terms that have been used, disastrous, historic disaster. My friend Nigel Farage, I heard being interviewed just the other day from Great Britain, 
and how frustrated and angry and abandoned uh, our allies in NATO, particularly in Great Britain, as you uh, said earlier, now feel that apparently were unaware that we were going to begin this pullout, unaware that we were going to allow the Taliban uh, to take over an entire nation. Now, if you remember, there was about a week where we would hear where the Taliban had moved into a region where a town had been taken and another. Literally, uh, it was reporting they're on their way to the capital. Blitzkrieg is a good way to identify it, but they're on the way to Kabul. And so began this terrifying exodus that we saw the images on the tarmac there, uh, Afghans clinging clinging and falling from a moving aircraft. Horrible. Remind us all uh, of those that fell from the Twin Towers. And, and look, this is all about, again, we know and you know better than I of appearances and how the Taliban wants to embarrass the United States, how they want to control uh, the conditions that are on the ground there and declare victory uh, raise their flag above our embassy. I think it's uh, $700 million is what we spent, seven $800 million in building uh, that embassy. I was there. I uh, arrived in Kabul on the 18th of March in 2016 in a blowing uh, rainstorm. And, and when you land, there's two ways you corkscrew in or you come in hot. Uh, we came in hot that night, and they don't slow that uh, Air Force jet down until it's on the runway. So that was an exciting uh, event. But the next event, as the door opened, was a military personnel asking me to put on a helmet and a, a flak jacket as quickly as I could and move to the Black Hawk, where we then flew across Kabul to the embassy. I spent then the next two days uh, visiting our troops, moving forward to Operation uh, Base Gambri. Uh, in a Black Hawk where our flares went off going over the Afghan mountains. Uh, that indicates there's something hot underneath you. So that, that, that's an exciting morning above the Afghan mountains, mountains with the flares going off in your Black Hawk. And, uh, but meeting the military personnel there was just so encouraging. At, at first, I thought I, I didn't want to bother them. I didn't want to take them away from their duties. But as soon as we gathered together in small groups, and I would ask them what town they're from. And, and they would give me a name of a town in Mississippi. And I'd say, oh, I know someone there. I remember being there. I campaigned there. And, and their faces would light up. And, and we would start talking about home and family. And then I realized why I was there to encourage them. And also uh, getting detailed briefings from the highest commanders in the United States military there on the ground in forward operation bases in Kabul. And on 18th March, uh, perhaps 19th March, I was told in by the commander, I won't name them. They, I don't want to draw any, any attention to what they were, uh, they were sharing with me then. But they said, clearly, if we were pulled down, if our troop forces were pulled down, then we were about somewhere around 5,000, I believe. If we were pulled down to 1,500, which the Obama administration had planned on doing, a troop withdrawal pulling down to 1,500, he said, this will be Saigon. Uh, they will come over those walls uh, and they will kill everyone here. We will, uh, we will be in a terrified retreat. Please, Governor, as he asked me then, try all you can not to let that happen. 
that was 2016. Our military personnel knew exactly what was going to happen. Uh, unfortunately, the Biden administration has engineered a defeat, unlike anything we've seen since 1979 in Saigon, which, which oh, by the way, was, was nothing compared to the destruction, the damage, the embarrassment. And, and, and that's just such a, you know, a light term to use. The defeat uh, of the United States here. And it is not the fault of our military. The men and women like Scott Taylor, that Navy SEAL who served and who's over serving again, we must honor uh, their service. Uh, this is the politicians and, and the politician in the White House that has caused this historic disaster and a stain that will last in America's mind and soul for generations to come. And Governor Bryan, this is a stark departure from the Trump administration, which warned about the U.S. military firepower should bad things happen and nullify U.S. military withdrawal in case a negotiated settlement fails. And let us remind our listeners that in February 2020, the Trump administration signed a peace agreement with the Taliban, but the Taliban committed to end attacks on the U.S. military and coalition forces and prevent terrorist groups from using Afghanistan to launch attacks on the U.S. and its allies. And Taliban would also negotiate with Afghan leaders to create a new government. And according to the agreement, as long as Taliban would honor these requirements, U.S. would gradually withdraw our military forces. Now, in this case, why is Biden administration kowtowing to Taliban? It, I think it's just simply weakness. I, I think we have someone um, who has a weak administration and someone who is stubborn. I'm not trying to be derogatory. It's just known that the president, the entire time that he was United States senator, when he made his mind up about something, even if it was wrong, he seemed to continue to defend it even after everyone knew it was a bad decision. So he keeps saying this decision was mine. I was wide open when I, I made the decision. But again, trying to blame President Trump is just another fallacy that exists in this administration's talking points. Look, President Trump, and, and this is one area that we disagree. I believe we should stay uh, in Afghanistan. We've been in South Korea for 50, 60 years. We, we still have troops in Germany. In fact, we landed at Rheinstadt Air Force Base as we were going into Kabul for refueling there. So we got we large military presence in Germany and Japan. I've been to Okinawa. And so we could have maintained a, a military presence there, a smaller military presence, and brought stability. That was what President Trump had talked about. Uh, that would have been, have been the better course. He always listened to his generals on the ground, his military experts, and, and had the right people in the right place, a great secretary of state. So uh, he had top people that you now see missing uh, from this administration. So the very idea that this is something that Donald Trump would have done is, is ridiculous. Uh, we all know if Donald Trump had seen the Taliban moving across an entire nation, taking city after village after city, executing people that were resisting, there would have been a military response and there would have been a harsh military response. Uh, everyone knows that. The Taliban knew that. That's, that's why it did not occur until Trump was out of office and they saw that the Biden administration would do nothing. The very idea that the president of the United States goes to the Taliban and says, we need more time to get our people out. 
And the Taliban says, we're not going to give it to you. And the president goes on national television and says, well, we're going to get out on time because the Taliban may start shooting our people. This is, this is unbelievable. They've never, I taught American history, American government for six years. There's no point in America's history, entire history, where we've ever seen anything like this. There's never been a president that has yielded to terrorism or to a military force. Did, did we see this at Pearl Harbor? Would, would Franklin Roosevelt have said, well, the Japanese have said they will attack further areas in the United States if we retaliate, so we're going to do... No. no, it was a day of infamy. And we have another day of infamy. Unfortunately, it rests uh, in the White House. Right. I mean, Biden obviously shows lack of leadership and all fronts. While British Prime Minister Boris Johnson was heard saying, I quote, the number one condition that we're setting as G7 is they've got to guarantee, I mean, the Taliban has to guarantee right through August 31 and beyond safe passage for those who want to come out. While Biden refuses requests from other Western allies to extend August 31 deadline. So it is troublesome. It's unexplainable. And this is where we're at. Even as you see the mainstream media questioning and trying to grasp the reality that exists today uh, with President Biden and his administration and what's taking place, there is no explanation. No one can understand. And he will have a news conference and just say something like, well, we talked about it and we knew this was going to occur and everything's fine. Uh, the airport is safe. At the very same moment, a split screen is showing what's taking place there in Afghanistan. Uh, just yesterday, I believe, the Taliban issued orders that women should not return to their workplaces. That no matter what you were doing as a woman, if you're a professional, if you're a professor, that you should not return to your workplace. There is no telling the horrors that will be affected. I've heard reports, and this was, again, a news report this morning. I, I haven't independently verified it, that you must identify whether or not you have a female over the age of 12 in your home. You have to use a marking on your door. Now, you can only imagine what horrors are going to take place. Uh, the gay community, they will be hunted down and executed. Uh, women will be put back in burkers and left at home. Uh, they will be taken out of schools. Young girls will not be uh, allowed to read. This, this is a horror on a level that is just hard to explain. It reminds me more of 1979 when our Iranian embassy was taken over and uh, under the Carter administration and our members were held hostage. Just yesterday, we heard from employees of the American embassy that said we have been left behind. Uh, we are here and, and in fear of our lives. Our passports are being taken. We're being beaten if we try to go through the checkpoints. Uh, this... This is a disaster that is still unfolding. And, and I fear the images that we will see in the future will be those cataclysmic uh, images that will uh, remind us of the Holocaust.
In fact, uh, Governor Bryant, we've been following the work of the Mississippi National Guard. You visited them in Afghanistan. They've been doing some extraordinary work in training our allies in the region in Central Asia, uh, such as the country of Uzbekistan. Uh, could you be able to provide an update on uh, specifically what is transpiring and the important assistance that the Mississippi National Guard uh, is giving to the forces in Uzbekistan in safeguarding their nation and the security of the region. Absolutely. First, let me say Uzbekistan is one of our greatest allies in Central Asia. Now, this is a country that was formerly occupied by the Soviet Union, um, now has dynamic democratic leadership through honest elections that are very closely monitored for uh, integrity there in Uzbekistan. But we began a relationship with them perhaps eight years ago, where we here in Mississippi began to train their special forces with our Mississippi National Guard. They come to Mississippi. I have been to Uzbekistan. I was in Tashkent, I believe, in 2018. Amazing industrial people there that are built one of the finest democracies in Central Asia. And they have reached out now. I know uh, that they are assisting the United States and our other allies uh, in the region of bringing in some of the Americans as we might need. Tashkent has a very robust airport there as we need those areas and refugees. And I'm sure this is something that is at an international cost to a Central Asia country. The Taliban will not appreciate the fact that they are uh, assisting, that the Mississippi National Guard is working with them, has been working with them for eight years now. But this is the Uzbek people, the Uzbek leadership, that at the cost that they may have to pay in the future would be willing to do so when other countries in the region have refused. And I was in Qatar again in 2016. I want to thank their administration and leadership there in Qatar. Again, a large American Air Force base is being utilized for these flights in and out of Afghanistan without Qatar, without countries uh, such as Uzbekistan, and, and I spoke to their ambassador just a week ago and thanked him again for their assistance and their support. He's a dear friend of mine. I was at the embassy about a month ago uh, with their secretary of state and their ambassador uh, for dinner. These are wonderful allies that we have. But again, they must be wondering, uh, as is the entire world, what has happened to the United States? how we could tuck tail and run from the Taliban, how we could allow them to dictate the 31 August deadline. Now, what will happen after that? On the 1st of September, will they say we are just going to keep all Americans that haven't gotten out? Will we imprison them? Will we jail them? What, what will happen? Imagine if you had a, a father, a, a mother, a child in Afghanistan, and your government is saying, well, they've got to get out by the 31st of August, or that's it. We wash our hands of this. This is unbelievable that a president of the United States and his administration has abandoned. Uh, and just the other day, I, I saw the press secretary arguing with arguing with a reporter about the term. Have they been abandoned? Have they been left behind? Or, or what, well, how should we describe it? Describe it any way they want. These people are in fear of their lives, and rightfully so, because we have surrendered to the Taliban, our embassy, our flag left the embassy, and everyone has seen that that horrible 
dreadful photograph of that stern United States Marine doing her job uh, with a folded flag of the United States Embassy in Kabul being flown out of country. Uh, that's That means you've surrendered. When you strike your flag and allow the enemy uh, to raise theirs, that is a defeat. That is a surrender in anyone's definition and we have abandoned those that are left behind. This weekend, we're joined by Governor Phil Bryant, the 64th governor of the state of Mississippi, a respected and principal reformer who traveled to Afghanistan as governor to meet with the Mississippi National Guard serving in Afghanistan and who are at work in training the special forces of Uzbekistan. Thank you, Governor Phil Bryant, for your continued leadership on the security front, on the policy issues, of our day. We appreciate and commend you for your leadership endeavors indeed. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable this weekend. Thank you, Governor Brian. Thank you so much. Let's all go to church on Sunday and pray for those that have been left behind and pray for our nation. God bless y'all. Thank you for what you do. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's two FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Adinsami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org.